Welcome to episode four of Forensic Fix, a podcast brought to you from MSAB, where we invite guests from the industry to discuss the latest news in DFIR, current issues, and a general chat about all things digital forensics and investigations. I'm your host, Adam Furman, tech evangelist here with MSAB. And I'm delighted to say that we have another guest up at the crack of dawn, 6am for my guest, who is Austin Berrier, who is from the United States and currently works for Homeland Security Investigations. So let me start with telling you a little bit about our guest. Austin has been a special agent with Homeland Security since January 2003 and has been assigned to Crimes Against Children since January 2010. So previous to this, Austin was in the military police with the Marine Corps. Don't worry, Austin, I won't say the dates for that one. But then he joined <laughs> Bedford County Sheriff's Office, where he worked prior to Homeland Security. Now, Special Agent Barrier has conducted both traditional and undercover online investigations across a broad spectrum of platforms, such as peer-to-peer, social media, file sharing, live streaming, and end-to-end encryption platforms. Special Agent Barrier was the recipient of the 2018 Assistant Attorney General's Distinguished Service Award for Project Mercury, which was a three and a half year online undercover investigation that led to the arrest and indictment of over 250 child predators globally and the identification of 89 child victims. Special Agent Barrier regularly presents and instructs on live streaming investigations online undercover techniques, and end-to-end encryption platforms, both within the US, Atlanta and Dallas ICAC, and internationally in Canada, Thailand, Korea, Australia. Now, Special Agent Barrier regularly presents for Europol, Interpol, and ILEA. And by the time this podcast is released, you will have just given a presentation at Youth Technology and Virtual Community Conference down in Australia that we covered with DS Ballantyne on the last podcast. So I've given our listeners a small insight into your very, very impressive career, Austin. Can you give us some more detail about going way back to the past, your career path, and how you got into your current role? Uh, Definitely. Um, It was pretty much an accident, really. When I was a young kid growing up in a small town in rural Virginia, I was that uh, kid who was always throwing snowballs at the the, the police chief as he drove through the neighborhood or, or getting into trouble, right? Small town antics. Um, fast forward to uh, university when originally I had wanted to be a lawyer. Don't ask me why, right? And then um, I eventually joined the United States Marine Corps where in their infinite wisdom, they decided to make me a military police officer. Now, <clears throat> after attending the Department of Defense Military Police Academy, um, I didn't do regular um, military police work. I was actually assigned to a White House support unit, Marine One, um, during the President Clinton administration, where I um, our job was to uh, provide physical security for certain White House assets and, and transportation assets and work with the Secret Service. And that was where I was first probably exposed to U.S. federal law enforcement and, and law enforcement in general in, in a way that I wasn't where I wasn't the one being stupid and, uh, you know, and getting in trouble. Um, that's nice to, that's forward, nice to hear that you joined it by accident because I got into forensics by accident as well. So I was working plain clothes undercover at the time and we were executing a warrant and 
I'd like to say it was a bit more heroic, but I slipped over on the grass as we were running into the address and dislocated my knee. And whilst I was off, I started a degree in software and then ended up in the forensic unit. So completely unintentional of how I ended up. So it's good to hear that somebody else made that journey as well. I think that seems to be like the the path for like some of the more successful people, right? It wasn't what was planned. It was something that opportunity provided and they they took the opportunity, right? But for me, it was the same thing. You fast forward after university, I decided to go into uh, local or municipal policing. I didn't want to, I wanted to find a small community and, and do my part. And I did, I found a rural community in Virginia and my sheriff at the time was a retired uh, second line supervisor for one of the many U.S. alphabet law enforcement agencies, alcohol, tobacco, firearms. And after a few years of keeping my neighborhood safe, so to speak, I, I did kind of uh, get bored, I think. I was looking for something more exciting um, mentally, mostly, mostly, right? Something that was more mentally stimulating. And I spoke to my sheriff and he was the one who suggested that I go work for the United States government. And at that time, Prior to the creation of Homeland Security um, after 9-11, there was a federal agency called the United States Customs Service, which would be like uh, in England, right? Her Majesty's Customs and Exchequer, right? That was eventually, I believe, rolled into NCA yeah. or, or something along those lines. That's, that's really what happened here in the U.S. The U.S. Customs Service had investigators. I was hired by them. Um, 9-11 happens, right? And then while I'm at the academy... They literally just changed the name of our agency, right? They crumpled up the old paper, pulled out a new paper, wrote a name across it, and switched out yeah. badges. Um, that's how I came to be with HSI. Um, now, when getting into the the computer crimes, cyber crimes world, again, when I was a young a young federal agent, it was all about narcotics and guns and drugs and and, and all the running around with your hair on fire and the blue yeah. lights flashing. I remember I was having a conversation with my dad. I would have been, you know, in my late thirties, which now feels like so long ago. Um, and my dad was telling me, "When are you going to come in out of the rain?" Is what he said. He said the criminals aren't getting any younger, but you're definitely getting older. He said you can't keep doing this. You're going. I think he said told me something along the lines, "You're going to break a hip one yeah. of these days." <laughs> <laughs> and so I was looking around our office to see I, I, what type of white collar crimes were available. Financial crimes didn't really strike me as anything interesting. Um, looked kind of boring, mm-hmm. and math wasn't my favorite subject, anyways, in school. And then we had an opening in our child exploitation and cyber crimes unit, and I said, "Well, I'll, I'll give this a try." And you know, that was 13 years ago, and here we are yeah. today. And you you play a big part in and support Child Coalition as well, don't you? And recently, you you received an award from them for your sort of work and dedication. What, what can you tell us about what you do with Child Coalition and how they're helping? Right. So CRC, Child Rescue Coalition, one of the great things about them is um, they've developed software that individuals in the, in the business are aware of that we use investigatively, yeah. right? And not, you know, different NGOs have different missions. Some are educational, some are build awareness, some like CRC build tech tools, that law enforcement uses. And our agency has been using their software for quite some time, um, along with, you know, agencies from around the world, right? And, and that's fantastic software that helps identify offenders. Um, and, you know, and, and they're also, you know, we, what I like about CRC is they're always coming out to the field or to the investigators and saying, hey, what's, what's the next crazy thing? Where's the next place you would like to see a technical solution? Yeah. Where's another space that we can help you? So they're really good at doing that too, trying to, they're not sitting back on their laurels, 
you know, and, and, and accolades. They're always looking for a new space or a new way to help, help. Yeah, converse. I was certainly aware that we were using it in the police force that I worked for. Um, I believe an ex-colleague of mine who we both know, Tom Farrell introduced it there and it, it had huge results, absolutely huge results. And, um, like you say, the detection rate was very, very impressive and it brought a lot of predators to justice. Yes, it's it's a fantastic tool. And um it's in some of the stuff that they're creating, and I really can't go into a lot of the detail on that, right? Because I don't think it's mm-hmm. been um like rolled out, you know, to everybody, but they've got some really cool stuff in development that I've been testing for them. Um it, it operates in a different, newer space of the internet in the uh, E2EE spaces. And again, it's a fantastic tool that um, helps cops identify bad yeah. guys, right? That's that's the problem. The the internet is growing exponentially isn't even accurate it's if you, if you could have exponentially squared yeah. <laughs> right the internet's just growing. every day there's a new there's 10 new spaces where offenders are and law enforcement and government cannot keep yeah. up right we don't have the time the money the expertise to build these tools so it's it's kind of up to these ngos to fill yeah. those gaps which is unfortunate right i mean i'm glad they're doing it i just wish that you know government funded this this crime type or society funded this crime type like they do some yeah. of the other ones because like you say it we've had some amazing projects like project vic and cade here in the uk and the one in Australia, which are doing great for helping investigators once that the suspect is brought to sort of justice but we need that technology to to identify them first because like you say the internet has exploded within our lifetimes and when I look back and think of my first computers and sort of cell phones compared to what, you know, the average iPhone now could power the first mission to the moon. So. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I remember there's, I can't remember who it was. It was like, it was some famous uh, morning talking head here in the U S like Kelly Ripa or somebody like that back in the nineties. And they were talking about this new thing called the internet and, they, and I remember there's there a statement in the, in, that they people make fun of, and they said, "Yeah, I don't know if this thing's going to really take yeah. off or not because it was slow, it was complex, right? The old, you know, AOL where you're paying by the yeah. minute kind of days, um, right? And like you said, absolutely, I've been doing this, I've been just doing this crime type since before Blackberries existed. Yeah. There's people nowadays who don't even know what a Blackberry is, so that tells you something, right? We were doing cases on Guys were still emailing it together, or they were using just um, you know news. You know, news mm-hmm. groups were still being used and IRCs and stuff. Now we're again we're doing end to end encryption on on our phones, and there's live streaming. Kid, you know, kids are live streaming from their bathrooms yeah. to some creepy guy across the planet. Yeah, it's, it's a and mess. A lot of it is <laughs> education as well, isn't it? Because like I'm on social media platforms, and I I, I see like my family on them and you see people who share like what they deem as an innocent picture of children in a bath or you know what everyone would deem as innocent but those images fall into the wrong hands and yeah a lot of it is education for people sort of our age as well as as sort of younger about how some of these supposed innocent images can be used because we see it all the time yeah absolutely i you know it's I've seen some progression um, in my time in this in this crime type. We used to be focused on getting the bad guys, which is of course important. Now, and then we've switched to being victim centric, yeah. right? Where it's find that child 
and and you know I, I hate the term rescue a child. Um, I think we I think that the child rescues themselves emotionally. We are just intervening. But it's most other crime types, at least in the U.S. Right? We'd rather prevent it. We don't police don't sit in the station waiting for the crime to happen and then respond. They're out actively patrolling, yeah. trying to prevent crime by their presence. Wouldn't it be great if we could prevent the abuse yeah. through either education or technology, uh, some kind of deterrence, as opposed to allowing the child to be abused in the first place? And I think that starts at home, right? Parents parents have to be engaged with their kids. Um, children have to be appropriately but uh, realistically educated about the dangers online. Yeah. Um, if mom and dad are sitting at the end of the sofa playing you know, fantasy football or Candy Crush, well, the kids and ignoring their children. Well, what are the kids yeah. going to do? They're going to model behavior and they're going to get online looking for validation. Yeah, exactly. And um, you, you made a good point of this industry is about victim identification now. And I, I touched on this in the last episode with Scott. And I mentioned how Cade and Vic and things are, are a great tool. Unfortunately, due to the sheer sort of volume of data and exhibits police are handling now, sometimes they're charging on the back of Project Vic and not even reviewing entire cases. So that there's potentially unknown victims there because they've already met the threshold to charge somebody. And I was very, very fortunate in my old police force that we had a chief constable, so the head of our police unit, was head of child abuse in the UK. And you, you probably know him, Simon Bailey, who does a lot of work with child yes, no. CRC as well. And yes. I just saw him a couple of weeks ago, yes, in Boca. And he always made us still review every single image because of that potential victim. So, But I am aware a lot of police forces just don't have the resource to do that. And Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, you you take those numbers, you add the numbers of what, like 29 million NCMEC referrals a year and some of these other insane numbers, you could have a million police just working this crime yeah. type and it, it wouldn't be enough, right? So I think, you know, this is a great place where technology can be a force multiplier. I know like, for example, facial recognition is a hot topic. There's there's fans of it and there's um, those who don't like it. They're afraid of its misuse, which, which I understand. But I think in victim identification, I mean, that is a fantastic tool, right? We have all these images of children and I'm not a ones and zeros yeah. guy. But you can't tell me there isn't a way that when we have bulk data that we cannot carve out or extract a face of a victim or an offender, but preferably a victim, and then run that through through a tool. You know, I think the most commonly uh, talked about one in law enforcement is Clearview, right? Because And run that through a tool like Clearview, and now you've got a possible match to some little kid's Instagram or Facebook or their, Snap, their Snapchat or whatever, TikTok, right? And now at least you have a starting place and you can hopefully go out because a lot of these kids now, especially in the self-produced content where the offender is coercing kids from across the planet to self-generate uh, abuse material like in their bathroom, a lot of those kids, they never come yeah. forward, right? Because it's – it's they're not going to – unless mom or dad walk in on yeah. them or a lot of times you know they're asked to – bring in their friends, you know, or you know, it might be 10, 15 victims down the road before some child has the strength yeah. to disclose. But if we could automate that process and then now what you're doing is right. Now you're having coppers have to go out and knock on a door and say, Hey, we think your kid's been a victim, but at least it stops yeah. it. Right. And I, I think that would be a fantastic use of technology, but people are afraid yeah. of technology. And right. And, 
cops, sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. If we've, if we use the technology incorrectly without proper training, you know, then, then we, you know, we make a, we set a bad precedent, right? We have to know what we're doing. And you're right because that technology already exists. And obviously last year, Apple spoke about using it, about turning it on, you know, detecting CSAM and and then because of the public backlash, they suddenly sort of wound back and haven't introduced that technology, but it exists. It's already there. Well, if you've got an iPhone or an Android device, how do you think when you run a search for, say, a dog, it categorizes all your dog pictures? Because every night, Apple, Android, they're all running very smart AI. Now, that technology could be used for good. Absolutely. And I think what, what is interesting is I mean, there's a couple of facts, a couple of factors here. One, I think uh, law enforcement is definitely losing the messaging battle, right? So, um, we're not good at that as an industry because we, it, up until recently, that wasn't something we had to do, right? Social media and the 24-hour news cycle has kind of thrust law enforcement into the public uh, perception constantly, yeah. right? So we have to get better at um, But the tech industry, right, these multi-billion-dollar corporations, some of them are richer than countries, yeah. right? They have you know, an army of spin doctors to go out there and make us look big and bad. Um, you know, it's when we're, there's this perception that, you know, the average cop, me or, or somebody else wants to read everybody's emails and know all their deep, dark secrets. No, I, no, I frankly don't yeah. care. Right. If you're, Whatever you're doing in your bedroom, as long as you're not hurting somebody, Hey, good yeah. for you. Right. Be adventurous. I don't care. <laughs> you know, um, if you've got 10 girlfriends and a wife, Hey, that's that's for you to yeah. figure out. But uh, but if there's a child or if there's somebody being victimized or an adult being victimized, wouldn't we want to stop yeah. that? Right? We, we wouldn't if we had if we're driving down the road and we see somebody being brutally attacked, we don't go, "Oh, you know, I I have a tool that would stop that, but I'm choosing not to deploy yeah. it." Right? So I think we've got to change the way that um, society views the way law enforcement wants to use this. And like you said, we know the technology exists and not to get political or talk about social hot topics, but we always, you know, we, everybody knows somebody who's been caught a ban on social media for typing yeah. something, whatever it is, something that was a violation of community standards. So if you can ban somebody for typing something that is a, a violation of community standards, you can absolutely identify somebody who's typing or doing this kind of activity that is criminal. Yeah. And I, again, I don't quite understand um, why tech, big tech is that, you know, we don't like that word that may be distasteful, but it's not illegal. But over here, you've got somebody doing a criminal act and we're just going to put our head yeah. in the sand. I don't, I don't see that leap. I, I would love to get some of the, I would love to get Mark Zuckerberg in a room and go, why? Yeah. <laughs> What's, what, what is your fear? Yeah. Yeah, and the fear for them is losing too many people off their platforms, isn't it? Well, I mean, I guess this is the thing. So when, you know, that Project Mercury case that you mentioned, and I can talk about it now, it's been a while, but we worked, it was, that was all around the, the platform Zoom back pre-pandemic when nobody even knew what yeah. Zoom was. And when we discovered along with NCA and some of the uh, police services there in the UK and Canada and Australia, what was going on, we had a meeting with, uh, back then, I think Zoom was only like 20 employees. And we had a meeting with their executive team and we showed them or we told them, I'm sorry, what we what we had discovered and they were appalled. Yeah. They're like, this is not what we want on our platform. And they 
Um, we, we explain to them, you know, the legal process of how we would like to request information. Um, we explain to them how they could report stuff to NCMEC if they, if they found stuff on their own. And they actually in, um, changed their platform in a way that made it more difficult for that to happen. It's impossible to get yeah. criminal activity off the internet, but they made it harder. And guess what? It, it cost them the salary of one person, yeah. I think. They hired one new person at the time. It didn't break the bank. I mean, now they're a massive company, yeah. right? And to see the CEO and the executive team being like, we don't want this. This is not what we want to yeah. be. Um, and I, I would say that it didn't, um, it certainly didn't hurt their business model. And do you want, I'm going to be straight up. Do you want, if you're a business, do you want pedophiles on your yeah. platform? I mean, are you, is that business you're really worried about yeah, losing? Exactly. <laughs> and um, I've, I've taken you off on a massive detour there. So I'll, I'll get us back on track. I'll get us back on track. So what does a normal day look like for Austin? <laughs> oh, wow. So um, the alarm goes off and my body reminds me that I'm, I'm almost 51, yeah. right? Oh, aches and pains. No. Um, so it, it really depends, right? Doing online undercover work um, is kind of like a, you know, to be effective, just like if you're doing face to face and, you know, I have people like, why do you talk about this? You know, aren't you undercover? I said, well, I'm online. That's yeah. different. I can be anybody I want to be, right? I'm not, I'm not going to the street corner and buying yeah. drugs, right? But, um, but for me, it's, it's kind of like a 24-7 kind of thing, right? Because people are on the internet 24-7. Yeah. If I'm only on the internet two hours a day, well, that would be kind of – Not know, very effective. Kind yeah. of uh, shit. Not very effective, right? It's just like – right. If you, want to be, if you want to buy drugs as an undercover, you got to work weekends yeah, and exactly. evenings, right? You, you don't go to the posh but, restaurants. You go to the street corners and, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You have to know your role or know your spaces, but that's what it is, right? I mean, it's for me, it's a constant online, um, you know, dealing with the offenders and and trying to you know identify them, of course, and then you throw in there, um, uh, you know, emergencies. Like you know, it, there's a really great international community of people that do this work that we, you know, somebody will identify a child at risk, something that's brand new, like right now, this is happening. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how Project Mercury kicked off. And it's really cool to watch these um, this international like coalition, unofficial yeah. coalition, get together and, and solve this problem and find this kid. But you know, I, I, I do that through the day, and then unfortunately, policing now is a lot of writing. So there's a whole yeah. lot of writing and a lot of report writing and, and uh, documenting what you do. Um, and then you know, of course, like for example, um, this this past week I've been in trial, so there's a lot of testimony and stuff like that. But for me, it. The, the undercover portion of it is const is, is pretty constant, yeah. right? It's it's seven days a week. You know, I've identified bad guys and children on Christmas Eve yeah. and on Easter and you know and, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, when when you're in the, the police and protecting the innocent, you can't just turn off. It's not a nine to five job, is it where you can just walk away and say, I've done for today. Like you say, it's reactive. Right. And it is, and that's and that's a hard thing, right? Because <clears throat> something I've becoming it's become important to me in the last few years is you know the mental health and resiliency of of our people doing this yeah. work right we see a lot of burnout and you have to figure out a way you you do have to sometimes walk away yeah. and turn it off um you, you know your families your friends deserve you as deserve the officer's time as well the agent's time and you know broken cops or or, or salty cops really aren't of use to anybody no. right if you if you find yourself getting in that space you need to take a break yeah. so you can continue to be effective yeah. and i i touched on this with um 
Scott, but I remember before I joined this sort of industry and this, this world, I, I remember my old sergeant saying to me, I can't sit here today and tell you that you're going to be okay viewing images that you're going to see. He went, you're either going to be affected or you're, you're not going to be affected. And thankfully, I could do the job without being affected. But that did change over the years, sort of, you almost become numb to it. And you sort of, I just saw it as right and wrong. That's the way my brain sort of dealt with it. So I could drive home and then forget about it. But I remember working a Pacific case and it was a child the same age as my child at the time. And that one got me because I could associate it. And I then got taken off that case and got put onto a new one because, and thankfully I identified it because that could have really played on my mind. And um, that's a fine balance in this world. I, 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 you're 100% right. I think, um, like I try to tell myself that I, I recognize that it affects me, but I've, I've tried to come up with a healthy coping mechanism because if I ever get to the point where I'm so dead to the content, yeah. then it's time to move yeah. on, right? Because then you, you know, a good cops still have their humanity, yeah. right? I mean, you still need that. So you have to figure out what that coping mechanism is, right? Do you have that little walled off space in your brain where you can put this yeah. stuff? And then you have a healthy outlet. Um, anybody who's friends with me and knows that I'm a, I'm a huge Star Wars and Lego yeah. geek. So um, if my family ever sees me sitting down and like, you know, building 5,000 pieces of Lego over the weekend, they know, okay, well, Austin had a particularly cruddy yeah. week and this is, that's my yeah. coping mechanism, right? That's how I get rid of it. Um, but no, it's, it is. It's, and, and that's one of the issues that I have with the law enforcement management community in general like i'm not saying like my bosses i have fantastic chain of command but like as an industry um you know so much of law enforcement historically has been you know drugs and guns and crimes of violence or at the federal level it's you know it's types of crime and i don't think people realize that this this crime type affects its investigators uh, and, and we see that in the fact that again, it's it's under it's woefully yeah. underfunded, right? Well, sometimes uh, no other crime yeah, Sometimes it's seen as victimless, isn't it? And that's one of the things because oh, yeah. if if you catch someone sharing illegal images, like thankfully I, I I was always distant from it. So as a forensic examiner, we had to act as a third party. So even though we were police officers, we had to be respectful to the the prosecution and the defence. So we worked on behalf of both. So I never got to meet the people, which I think helped me. And one of the the things about that is because I never met the people, that's how I dealt with it as right or wrong. But it's just, yeah. And um, well, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. Like for example, this case that we're in trial now. I mean, obviously, I can't go into a lot of detail, but the uh, and it's it's a possession, a CCM possession case. Um, but the content was particularly horrific. It's in, infant yeah. stuff, and when I say infant, I'm talking children that can't eat, aren't even old enough to roll yeah. over, right? They're like almost newborns. And if somebody were to tell me that was a victimless crime because those are quote just pictures or videos, yeah. I would say, well, that was somebody's baby yeah. that was victimized. How would you feel if that was your yeah. child? So that there, there absolutely is a victim. Yeah. It's just, and they're being re-victimized. And I think when I, I've, I've done some, you know soul searching on this and again i think uh, this is my just this is the austin barrier view so many people in this that work this crime type are 
were true believers and crusaders. They stay in it for the long haul. And like in my agency, very few of them actually promote, yeah. right? They, they want to stay where they are. So I think we have a lot of people in police leadership globally who just have never worked this crime mm-hmm. type. So they don't have a, they don't have a frame of reference. But then when you try to explain it to them, everybody's you probably heard it. Oh, I could never work yeah. that. I don't want to see that stuff. Horrible. So it's 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 kind of a catch twenty two there, right? We we need to educate our leadership on the importance yeah. of it, but it's such a horrible content that nobody wants yeah. to see it or or even be or even learn about it. it. It was good to hear at the start of you talking about like the alliance of we say the internet. It's a great place and it's a bad place. And it's a great place for the alliance of internationally working together. I, I remember one case we worked, and Tom would probably remember this one as well. I, I won't say where the gentleman works, but he worked for an agency that should have been looking after people. And he was caught, and he was in our sort of jurisdiction, but we didn't catch him because he, he was right. a techie guy. He knew what he was doing. But one thing he forgot was to turn his location data off and New Zealand police call it. And they then passed the package to us. We executed and we would have never have got him if it wouldn't have been for international working. Well, and that's the thing, right? The Internet is a, is a borderless entity, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're crossing international lines or state lines or provincial lines constantly. Yeah. Now, the bad guys, they don't those lines on a map mean nothing to them. Right, but they do to us in law enforcement. That's where your that's your bailiwick. That's where your jurisdiction yeah. ends. But that doesn't mean I can't pick up the phone or send an email or a text or a signal chat yeah. to a, a friendly cop or somewhere else. Um, and you know, and and there's there's official policies on how to communicate with agencies, and that's very bureaucratic in nature and takes weeks or months. But I, I think what we're starting to see is um, in, in this community is that there's a need for instantaneous communication amongst coppers around the yeah. world, right? Hey, I found it in your neck of the woods. What do you think? And we're being allowed more and more to have those, um, those communications because the goal is to identify that victim, right? And you can, once, once you have that information share, then you can send all the, the reports and everything formally through channels, but you've got to let that other cop, like you said, you know, in in your neck of the woods or New Zealand, you know, Christchurch, wherever, yeah. hey, you, there's a baddie in your area. You should look into this. And that, and that can't take weeks when there's kids no, at risk. Of course. And um, with your sort of experience over the years of these types of investigations, we've sort of touched on a little bit, but what would you say the biggest challenges that faces us today? funding, and that covers a wide range of things, especially here in the U.S., right? Um, We have the ICAC model, right, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, which here in the U.S. is generally comprised of local municipal agencies with a federal partner. And those local agencies generally are mandated to work crimes and again in their jurisdiction right and that makes sense right you're a city or a county or state agency and then the federal partners help with the bigger stuff but they still have a you know with the nicmic referrals and and referrals coming in from um you know the the patrolmen and stuff they have tons and tons of crime or tons and tons of cases but then even at the federal level where we're expected to work these big large-scale complex investigations you know, some some of our agencies and even in the big cities only have one or two people working as crime type, right? Now, in my office in Phoenix, we're lucky. We have a 10-person a squad yeah. working this. Um, and, and, and to me, that shows uh, my bosses take this seriously. 
But that funding goes not to just bodies because we can't throw enough of bodies at it. We can't. We would have to have, like I said, a million cops working this. It goes to technology, yeah. um, forensic tools. That, you know, the tools that we use after the facts um, cost money, and I understand companies have to keep the lights on and make salary, and that's 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 perfectly yeah. fine, right? Um, but we we're not spending money on making the job easier. Yeah. I guess we need to be developing technology, like I said, on that front end, that's either helps with detection, helps with prevention. Like I know there's, um, uh, you're talking about Tom Farrell. I know that um, their organization, I think is um, doing some pretty cool stuff for some preventive tech. And I think they were just, I think the crown or somebody there in the UK home office or somebody is helping them, you know, working on that with them and in some of the other organizations, because in a perfect world, we would fund this to the point where on the front end, it, it, decreases the uh it decreases the volume of work for me so i definitely think it's got to be funded more and i'm a firm believer that society and governments show what's important to them by throwing resources at a problem we can talk about it but until you put money and bodies on a problem it's really important to you and i think that's what we're seeing we're we're seeing a lot of lip service and we need to see governments uh, industry partners and society putting their money where their mouth is. I, I think sometimes, and this used to be, and I see this sort of crime similar to drugs, that we used to, as when I was a frontline Bobby out in the streets, if we started catching lots of sort of drug dealing and sort of drug offences, that the town or the city suddenly had a drug problem. Whereas if you weren't out there doing it, there was no drug problem because it wasn't detected. And sometimes I think this sort of industry... And it shouldn't be, but it's very similar. Right. It's like the, the, those old, that old um, statues or cartoons of the three monkeys, right? Covering yeah. their eyes, ears, and mouth. Right? It, absolutely. Or the head in the sand of the ostrich. Right. If we, if we can ignore it and put our fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 it's not happening. And that's, that's appalling because these, there's real humans. This isn't a property crime. This isn't like a, a, a sudden explosion of graffiti on public property or property damage to car parks. This is children. These are people's, our most precious commodity, right? And we're just, we're doing the, we're not even doing the bare minimum. We're, you know, we're not even keeping our head above water. I mean, we, when these big, some of these big uh, uh, pushes come out, I, I have, I have guys calling me saying, how am I supposed to do 500 Nick Mick referrals in one year? I'm like, one at a time. That's that's all you can do, right? And then and then then you have all the other types of cases that are working. We are we're not we're not keeping your head above water. We are one hundred percent drowning in this. Um, there's got to be there's got to be a smarter way. And I, and I do I think technology holds the yeah. key. No, I agree. And um, not trying to put people off who are considering a career in this industry, but for those who may have recently just joined, they're they're at the bottom of the the ladder, thinking what have I done? Or for those people who are are considering it. What advice would you give those people, Austin? I mean, definitely give this work a try. Obviously, it's not for everybody, but if you have a squad or a team in your agency that's looking to do child protection, you know, ask if you can do like a temporary assignment with them because you need you need to see the reality of it and know if it's something that you can mentally and emotionally handle. But I think this is the most rewarding thing I've done in my law enforcement career. I mean, other crimes are important. Don't get me wrong. When I was a municipal police officer working domestic violence or or you know, taking drunk drunk drivers off the road or street level narcotics, right? That's that's quality of life too. But this, I think, 
the, the key is, is that the victims themselves did not choose to be there. Like, right. I understand addiction and, and how there's levels of choice and stuff or, or, you know, or codependency and domestic violence relationships. But these are little, little human beings who have no ability to defend yeah. themselves, nobody to speak up for them because oftentimes their abusers are the people that are supposed to be protecting them. So it, it's the most rewarding thing. If you save one kid, if you identify, identify one kid and get them out of that situation, I, you know, it's like the Schindler's list, save one man, save them yeah. all. Right. Um, I, I can't explain. There's no, there's no words that, that can explain that yeah. feeling you get when you know that that kid's safe. Um, you know, if you believe in that sort of thing, it's, it's the, uh, instant, instant, uh, first place ticket to heaven kind of thing. Right. And I think that's, that's the key there is you're going to, you're going to change somebody's life for the better. They'll probably never know who you are. And that's okay, but you're giving some little kid a second lease on life. And it's not when we when we all apply for these jobs and we're sitting at that interview board as fresh faced young coppers, we always say, I want to make the world a better place. Yeah. Right? That's that's the canned answer. And for what most guys believe it. Well, this is your this is your chance yeah. to do that, right? You're making you're changing that you're changing the world for one person and one person at a time. And I don't think there's any better job in law enforcement. I hundred percent agree. It's the most challenging, but the most rewarding world. And yes, to mix things mm. to mix things up, and I just let people know I I did give Austin a heads up that this was coming. But my final question now is, I'm asking it on behalf of the previous guest, which is a is a colleague and a friend of yours was D. S. Scott Valentine, yes. who has asked. <laughs> Other uh, no, it's a good one. He's been fair. Other than spending valuable time with family, is there a hobby or something similar that you like to do to decompress from a difficult day at work? Uh, yes, I am a Lego maniac, um, true and true. I, I um, my, my family teases me. I, 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 I've lost count on the number of Lego sets I have, probably upwards of a thousand Lego yeah. sets, hundreds of thousands of pieces. Um, but yes, for me, that simple repetition of following the instructions, um, problem solving does. It's it's a huge decompression. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a, I, I think I personally keep Lego uh, in the black, yeah. you know, with with uh, with their with their uh, balance sheets. It's know? definitely improved over the years, though, hasn't it? Because I remember doing it as a child, and I now do it with my son. And the instructions are so much better. And you even have QR codes showing you. <laughs> Literally, you can scan your pile, and it will show you which blocks to pick up. Oh yeah, it's gotten it's fantastic. I just um, they uh, I the Lord of the Rings Rivendell set, which is like sixty five hundred pieces wow. that arrived at my house about two weeks ago, and then uh, with May coming up, they're going to be dropping all the Star yeah. Wars a bunch of new Star Wars sets. So I already I put reminders in my phone because they drop at midnight. Yeah. So at 11.55, I'm logging in. I'm all these people mashing a button trying to get it into my cart so I can get one before they go out of stock. So I'm, I'm one of those super geeks. So really, this podcast is set to release on May the 3rd. I now feel guilty because I feel I should push it back 24 hours for you. There you go. Absolutely. Yes. There's a, like I said, I already have the uh, website queued up and I'll be refreshing it starting on like dinner time, May the 3rd. Oh, you've been a star, Austin. Um, I'll let you go now and start your day. It's still not even 7 a.m. for you. So thank you. And I look forward to, obviously we're recording this before the conference, but I look forward to meeting meeting up with you next week and um, share. 
Absolutely. And um, thank you very much for your time, Austin. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.